Um, this has nothing to do with anything, but I saw a church sign. It says, come as you are. And you've seen a lot of signs like that. You know, it says, come as you are. This one said, come as you are. You can change inside. <laughs> I like that. <coughs> and if the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't change it, then what are you doing? You know, you, you would like to have him change it for his good. All right, uh, we're looking, I did not see any uh, children's notes from last week, and I just wonder how that they would be, because we're getting into uh, Calvinism, and it starts getting really deep, and some, you know, difficult things, and I'm not exactly sure how, what the children are actually, you know, grasping or not, and I would be interested to see that, to see what, what they're actually picking up from this, but... Uh, um, folks, we're not going to be in this long. We're just going to go through this uh, as, as much as necessary so that we can try to hit some major areas in the pitfall of Calvinism that is all around us. Uh, uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, uh, dangers in latter times ministries, which is what we're in. Um, and so we're going through the tulip. Uh, today we're, we're looking at unconditional election in, in our uh, 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 next uh, lesson. These lessons are, are, I don't know how to put it, they're, they're intense, but that's Calvinism. If you've, ever, if you've ever crossed swords with those that will be dealing with Calvinism, predestination, election, that kind of thing, it's, it's uh, heavy, and it's deep, and it's, and it's intense, and so let's get through it, okay? Let's, let's go through this. It'll be beneficial for us to understand, understand the truth of the Word of God as we get into this. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10. This is the springboard that got us into this little side series on uh, Calvinism. This is the series of Latter Times Ministries. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1, it talks about we're being in those times and this is what you got to watch out for. And we ended up uh, with verse number 10, which kind of segued into this section 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10 says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Jesus is the Savior of all men or the whole world. His title is the Savior. His position, what he's done is he's, he's paid for the sins of the, the entire world. He's the Savior of all men, but those that actually take advantage of it, those who, are, who get saved are those who believe. And so he's especially the savior of those because it's, it's uh, active in their finding pardon, forgiveness, mercy, grace, uh, adoption into the family of God. So he's the savior of all men, but especially of those that believe. And that's what the truth of the word of God, which Calvinism says, no, no, he's not the savior of all men. And that first uh, look at Calvinism was, was in opposition to this verse, which is a limited atonement. He's not the Savior of all men. He's the Savior of the elect. He didn't die for all men. He died for the elect. His sins are not a payment for all sins of all the world. No, it's for the world of the elect. Limited. Limit, but that's not what the Bible teaches. And so, therefore, we're looking at that and, and jumping into this. He's the Savior of all men especially of those that believe. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that we would have clarity and, and that you would be our, our teacher and our guide tonight. Lord, help us to get into the things that we need to and help us to uh, um, illustrate properly and to lay things out properly so that we can grasp, so that we can understand, so that we can get with the heresies that are, are, that are out there that are uh, damning and damaging to our faith. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to understand these things so we'd be aware and we'd be uh, 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 ready, armed for battle uh, of, of things that are contrary to the Word of God. So, Lord, I pray that you be with us tonight. Help us. We, we do need your help tonight. We ask that you would uh, be with our minds and, and our hearts tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the particular theological pitfalls in these latter times is Calvinism. And uh, remember, we said the the series is First Timothy four one. Now the Spirit ex speaketh expressly 
that in the latter times, that's the times we're, what, that we're living, the times before the Lord Jesus Christ returns, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to things that are, are spawned by demonism or, or fallen angels or, or Satan's imps. Now, uh, these latter times, they're departing from the faith, and one of those areas that is so very effective to come away from the truth of the Word of God is this foolishness of Calvinism. Among other dangers, pitfalls, and potholes in these latter times, the heresy at hand is a particularly sinister and detrimental one. We're living in a time where basic Bible truths are defiled, <clears throat> they're reprobated by this ever-growing heresy of Calvinism, an offense to a loving, a caring, and a fair God. In this flawed theological system, we pointed out the five points of Calvinism, the tulip. And that's how uh, it's kind of noted, uh, not by enemies, but by you know, Calvinists themselves. They, they kind of identify Calvinism by T-U-L-I-P. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. We're looking at each one of these. And uh, today we're going to be in, in uh, unconditional election. We, we started with looking at limited atonement because that's what our uh, verse talks about when it says he's the savior of the whole world, especially of those that believe. That's the truth. But the Calvinist limits that and says, no, no, Jesus only died for his sacrifice is only good for the elect. And that's false. So we looked at that. And so then that started us into this. Last week we then... Uh, started up with uh, total depravity. Um, so <clears throat> last week we went back to the beginning of that tulip, total depravity. We tried to illustrate that if men are so totally depraved that they're unable to respond to the offers of God, it's no less reprehensible than my illustration against uh, uh, Liam last week. You remember I, I had three boys here and, and uh, there was... Uh, uh, Lincoln and Alonzo. I kept on calling him Emilio, but it was Alonzo, Emilio, uh, and uh, no, Alonzo, Lincoln, and uh, uh, Liam. And and it was Liam that actually won. He, you know, I had a five dollar bill, and and I said, here, uh, if you jump and get this, you can have this five dollar bill. Let's see how. And he and he jumped that high, and he won. I said, great, great. So then I brought up uh, brother uh, Joel. You know, he's nine foot something, and he holds it up here. And, uh, of course, he couldn't get it. And so I, I, wa I wanted to push that, and I did. You know, I, you know some of you thought, uh, Pastor, that was really harsh. I was trying to be harsh to, uh, to uh, illustrate that uh, it was very cruel for me to say, Sorry, Liam, you I'm giving you this, but you can't jump that high. You can't do it. You're unable to get it. So go home, sit down, you know, and, and it was unloving, mean, vindictive. And some of the words conjured up in that illustration of offering something that was impossible to attain, which is exactly the teaching of total depravity in the Calvinist's glasses. Man is so totally depraved that he cannot respond to the offer of grace. He cannot believe. He's dead He's so spiritually dead, he's so spiritually out of it that it doesn't matter what he does. There's nothing he can do to, to merit, to earn, to choose God. He cannot even choose God. And, and it's called total depravity. In some instances, it's called total inability. Man is unable. He has an inability to even respond to the grace of God. And so, which actually makes it to become a bogus offer. If God says, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely, but he knows nobody can. And if nobody can, then God's got to go on in and predestine those to be chosen to believe. Well, then you, you're elect. I want you to be elect. I want you to get it. So here's life, here's grace, here's faith to this person. Uh, here's this person. Uh, nobody can do this. And so it's only the, to the ones that God then uh, allows with this grace that is exerted. And that's not a biblical term, but that's a Calvinistic term because you have to have something like that in a, in a bogus, in a, in a man-made religion that this is not what God says, but this is what 
the Calvinist says that God must exert grace. He must, he must infuse grace into a person for that person to be saved. Otherwise, it's impossible for that man to attain the grace of God. Out of reach. Enable. Total inability. And that's what you call a bogus offer. If men are totally unable to respond or secure God's grace, then something just does not jibe with the simple, clear offers of God to a lost and a dying world. When he says things like Titus chapter 2, verse number 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That grace is not just infused into some. No, this grace, the grace that brings about salvation has appeared to all men, or is exposed to all, not just some, not just the elect, but the, the Calvinist says it's very limited, and so that's, that's what, you know. What about Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22? Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. This is God speaking to mankind. He says, everybody, listen. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. When he really doesn't mean that, it's an offer that he's given to dev, dead people that cannot take advantage of that, and so it's, it's, it's a bogus offer. You're all unable to actually take advantage of what God's saying there. That's not, a, that's not genuine, and we, we can understand that. We know that in, in human terms, and so um, you know, the, that doesn't make sense, not to the, you know, uh, to the, the, the uh, uh, theological uh, framework of Calvinism. Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to the elect. No, no, it's to every creature. Because God gives that offer to everybody, every single person that hears the, the gospel, he's offered uh, the, uh, the possibility of salvation and it is not, he is not unable to respond because it's a, a, an actual offer. It's to preach the gospel to every creature. It's, uh, it's offered to all men. It's an honest offer. It's true. It's valid. It's genuine. It's a real offer. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. So anyway, going over the point we came off of, total depravity, we concluded this. Although, yes, we're totally depraved, we can, we can believe to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants he wills, he desires all men to be saved. Uh, it's in the warped uh, position of the Calvinist that said, no, God is totally so sovereign that whatever he wills, whatever he wants gets accomplished. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. Didn't Jesus ask us to pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, this is what you pray. Believers, it was an example prayer. Jesus wasn't praying that. He said, pray this way. And he, and he said, this is how you pray. Pray that God's will is done on earth like it is in heaven. Is God's will being done on earth today? Are you out there? It's not a trick question. You know, it's a question I want you to respond to. Is God's will being done on earth today? Yeah, some of you don't know. So, it's, so it has turned out to be a trick question. No, no. God wills for everybody to be saved. Is everybody being saved? No. Uh, God wills for uh, Satan to have egg on his face. Uh, does he have egg on his face for the most part? Well, you know, you, with study, yeah, but, you know, it looks bad because he's a PR man for his own causes, and it doesn't look... Uh, God's will is for righteousness to be exalted and for sin and unrighteousness to be uh, uh, eliminated. Is that, what, is that what's going on on earth? Because that's what Jesus asked us to pray for. He says, this is how you pray. Whatever God wants, we want it done on earth. Just like whatever God wants in heaven gets done, we, we're praying that that happens on earth, and it's not happening today. It's not happening yet. That's a prayer that we're to, supposed to pray that let's ask God to get the total victory and wipe out all of this foolishness, which he will, but it's not happening yet or today. So is God sovereign then? If he wills his, his will to be done on earth and it's not getting done, what is he, powerless? No, how about this? He is uh, sovereign and he's decided to allow man to have a free will. Allow man to choose. Not making everybody be saved. He wants everybody to be saved, but he doesn't make that happen. 
The Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Just because all don't come to repentance doesn't mean that he's powerless and that, he, that he's, he's frustrated. Oh, this is what God wants. But he gets, and that's the way the, the, the Calvinists will look at it. But that's, that's a warped view of sovereignty. Because God can make everybody saved, but he doesn't. He put garden, uh, the, uh, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said, now I'm giving you personal sovereignty. I'm giving you a will to choose to follow me. I'm not making you do it. I'm allowing you to follow me. Don't eat this. You can have everything else. And that's the way that God works. Not because he's not sovereign, but because he chooses to work that way. Because he doesn't want robots. Amen. He wants people that follow him, that, that serve him. <clears throat> um, how about uh, this one, uh, John chapter 1, verse number 7. The, came, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. That's what God wants, all men to believe. Acts 16, verse number 30. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And so, although, yes, we're totally depraved, but we can believe <coughs> to salvation. <coughs> Excuse me. Tonight, we're going to try to progress down. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about the coughing today. been rough <clears throat> but uh, i'm getting through this so amen <clears throat> tonight we're going to try to progress down the list to that next one total depravity now unconditional election <clears throat> so if god is sovereign and god elects those to be saved and it's got nothing to do with their own works their own choice their own belief it's got nothing to do with that it's totally a person gets saved uh their election is unconditional. It's not because you believe. It's not because you choose. No, no, it's unconditional. Everybody is a sinner. Everybody is gone. Everybody is dead. And there's nobody that has anything any better than anybody else. We're all sin. We're all, all gone. And God says, okay, I'm not looking for any condition to, to grant election to. To say, live. I want you to live. I want you to live. No condition. There's nothing a man can do. It doesn't matter what it is. Believe, choose, anything. No, no, all of that is, it doesn't matter because God's sovereign and, and he'll, he, you know, uh, uh, even before the world began, he chose. And so he, there's no condition on earth. There's unconditional election. He elects unconditionally. <clears throat> so it's all of him. Salvation is all of God. It has nothing to do with man. The Arminian, on the other hand, when John Calvin was around, there was uh, uh, the group that says, well, no, uh, man has, not only can he choose, but he's got to hang on to his salvation. He's got, and he got into a work salvation. On the one side is a work salvation. The other side, it's, it's so far unconditional election and, and uh, total depravity and, you know, God's sovereignty that man has nothing to do with, with uh, salvation at all. Not belief, not ch change, not, not uh, go after, not accept. No, got nothing to do with it. On this side, the Arminians, they say, well, no, this, and it's a pendulum swing. The Arminians say, well, no, man has to believe. And man has to do this. And man has to do this. And man, ha and man has to hang on to it. And, and that's a work salvation. No, no, salvation is of the Lord, but it's not the way that the Calvinist looks at it. It's so all of the Lord, and it's got nothing to do with mankind, and thus you have the title, the, the, the word, unconditional. It's unconditional election. <coughs> when one considers the facts of Calvinism, that God considers man responsible for his actions and his choices, while at that same time doesn't give him the ability to respond to an offered grace, then the results tend to look rigged. Did you hear what he said? If man is, he cannot, there's nothing he can do. He's, he's unable to be saved, total inability. He's, he's dead. He has, he, there's no condition, nothing he can do. He can't believe, he can't do. There's, he cannot respond to God's grace. He's unable to respond to God's grace, but on the same time, he's responsible to respond to God's grace. Because if he doesn't, he's going to hell and burning forever. We might as well go home. There's nothing you can do about it. You're unable. 
You can't do anything. There's no condition. There's nothing you can do. You can't believe. You can't uh, uh, choose. You can't do anything. So, so therefore, if he's, if he's, on the one hand, totally unable to be saved, unable to choose, unable to believe, but then he's totally responsible. He's responsible to choose to be saved, and he's going to go to hell if he doesn't, but God's already determined there's nothing you can do about it. You can't. Something's not right with this picture. You know? Like last week, we were, you know, looking at, that's not, you know, it's, it's, and thus you have the definition of exerted grace. No, the grace of God that bringeth salvation and the appearance to all men. But the Calvinist said, no, no, man is so totally uh, depraved and he can't do anything, but God has to exert grace into that person so that he can come to faith and he can be saved and he can, you know, accept uh, because he can't do it of himself. And, and it's exerted grace. <coughs> now, the logical Calvinist, no matter the brand, whether, you know, cruel or whether the, the uh, <coughs> more R.C. Sproul type that uh, really gets into, you know, trying to make God not like a monster, you know, trying to, trying to you know, uh, soften it up and, and say, well, it's not really like that. It doesn't matter where the, Cal- the Calvinist ends up. If you're a Calvinist, and, and that's what you believe, that... There are those that are predestined to be saved, and thus there are those that are predestined to not be saved. The logical Calvinist, no matter the brand, comes to the conclusion that a predestination to election cannot stand alone. It's called single predestination. <clears throat> it means God says, okay, I'm just choosing you and you and you. I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody to hell. I'm just choosing those for life. That's all. Everybody else can't be saved. So anybody I don't choose for life, now they're going to hell. Let's not talk about that. But God is just choosing. It's single predestination. God just elects those to heaven. Not elects those to hell. Just elects those to heaven. And that's, that's illogical, Calvinist, because there is a, the other side of that coin, you know. Uh, and that is, uh, what, are, what are the people, the other un, unable people, what are they going to do if they aren't chosen? Uh, go to hell. But let's not, let's not say that God's doing that. God only predestined those, uh, predestines those for salvation. So it's called single election or single predestination. <coughs> only predestines the elect. The other side of the coin, of course, or the completion of the thought is the predestined to hell. Some Calvinists or full-blown Calvinists like John Calvin and like others that they try to stay away from this says God's predestined those to be saved. Okay, you're going to be saved. And let's see, I want you to be saved and I want you to be saved. Now, let's continue. I want you to go to hell. I want you to be lost. I want you to burn forever and ever. I want you to, to get the... the, the uh, 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 Thank you. Appreciate that. I want you to get the, the, uh, <clears throat> the, the wrath of God. I predestine those to be lost. Not just predestine those to be saved, but also predestined. That means before, before anything happened, before, before any contest, <clears throat> God says, there are those that are going to be lost. I want you to, you are predestined. I made you to be burned. I made you to go to hell. I predestine you for hell. That's the completion of the thought. Not just predestination to the, for the elect, but it's predestined for hell. The Calvinist, in attempting to avoid painting God up to be a cruel monster, who predestines the lost, or the unelect, to an eternal hell that he couldn't avoid if he wanted to because he was unable to choose or believe or repent, then he runs into a smoke and mirror tactic called double predestination. R.C. Sproul <clears throat> used these uh, manufactured terms to soften the position, calling it a positive-positive as opposed to a positive-negative stand. The positive... Okay, let, let, let me explain what they mean by this. Positive-positive means God positively chooses this one to go to heaven, chooses this one to go to heaven, chooses this one to go... That's positively does that. And he also positively chooses this one to go to hell and this one to go to hell. And this, or in other, in other words, all the rest. He chooses those to go to hell. 
He positively, he does something he has to do because they can't do it themselves. He has to put himself into the mix. So he positively chooses those to be saved. And he positively, he inserts himself and he says, and I want you to go to hell and you to go to hell and you to go to hell. That's the Calvinist and it's called a positive, positive position. Yikes. That's a little rough. So Sproul and others says, you know, that's, a, hang on, that's, that's not how it goes. That's not how it, We're a, a positive-negative Calvinist. Well, what does that mean? That means God positively chooses some for heaven, but he doesn't choose anybody else for hell, doesn't predestine anybody to hell. He just doesn't do anything to save them. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't exert himself at all. He just lets everybody go wherever they were going to go, which is hell. So he only chooses, that's a positive negative, Calvinist. <clears throat> so, okay, now, now listen, folks. Whether you're a positive, positive Calvinist or a positive, negative Calvinist, the end is the same. There are only those that are chosen to go to heaven, and everybody else dies and goes to hell, burns throughout eternity. There's nothing they could do about it. They're destined. They cannot get out of it. They're unable to be saved. What did God create them for? Well, they're to be burned. The result is they still burn forever. The result is they, they still can't be saved no matter what. Whether God actually put himself into it and said, you go to hell. No, no. He just said, okay, I'm keeping my hands off. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not positively going uh, to raise a, a, a hand to, to save that one. I'll, I'll just neglect that one and let them go where they were going to go anyway, which is absolutely go to hell. So <clears throat> a positive, positive Calvinist, if I can restate this and see if you can get it, a positive, positive Calvinist, like John Calvin himself, doesn't even try to hide from the harsh reality that if God were to positively act on behalf of the elect by infusing grace or predestinating them to election, <clears throat> since the leftouts cannot be saved, they can't believe, they cannot choose Christ, they can't repent of their sins, whatever, then it's a foregone conclusion that God also positively predestined the others to hell. You understand? If he positively chooses only those to be saved, and the others, they're, they're, they can't do anything about it, they're going to be going to hell anyway, but he doesn't, he chooses not to save them, well, they're absolutely going to go to hell. They're positively going to hell. So the reasoning goes like this. To distance themselves from such a hard and a harsh stance, this other type of Calvinist is positive-negative. He's a positive-negative Calvinist, a positive-negative adherent. He believes that, yes, God positively infuses grace on the behalf of those he chooses to be elect, but he doesn't positively do anything to the rest, allowing them to fail in their sin in spite of the reality that they couldn't be saved if they wanted to because nobody gets saved without that exerted grace. If God doesn't choose them, nobody's getting saved. So that's not as harsh, is it? See, because God just neglects them he just doesn't step in and save them. That's all. He overlooks them. He doesn't do anything for them, and so they're left to then get whatever is coming to them. Divine condemnation for being a sinner. See, God didn't specifically act to damn them. He just didn't positively save them. Okay, now let me, let me try to illustrate that. Let's say, well, I don't have a... I don't have a... Well, let's... <clears throat> Let's say I'm, I am a uh, lifeguard, okay? I'm a lifeguard, and I'm sitting at this lifeguard station, and this songbook is, is my lifesaver, you know, big round thing that you eat, except they're, you know, anyway. So, <clears throat> so I've got my lifesaver. My job is to, you know, watch the water, make sure somebody, you know, doesn't drown. That's what my job is. I'm the lifesaver. If I see somebody that's <clears throat> drowning, I'll throw the, the life, uh, what do you call that? The, 
Life preserver. Thank you. I'll throw the preserver to them. I'll jump into water. I'll save them. That's my job. That's my job to go out and save those who are drowning. Okay? So I'm here, and that's my job. My job is to be the lifeguard. And I see somebody drowning. I say, yes, jump in, throw the, the life preserver to that person, and I save them. That's what my job is. That's what I do. And I'm sitting up here, and I see somebody else. They're drowning. I can see they're going to drown. They can't swim. They're going down. And I say, my pastor, Gerald Manley, in his book, The Wilted Tulip, he brings out this illustration. It's a great illustration of the lifeguard at his post. And this is what he says about that. Suppose the lifeguard, number one, knows a given individual is drowning. And he will drown without his direct intervention in the rescue of that person. Number two, he has the capacity to rescue that individual. Number three, he chooses purposely not to do so. And number four, he remains seated in his life-saving tower watching as the individual drowns. I don't know if you're listening to what's going on or you're paying attention. And you know what? You know, people say, oh, that's, you're just, you know, using emotion. No, no, I'm using human condition. Would that lifeguard attempt to use the positive, negative logic in his defense? You know, like if he saw somebody die in front of him and, and he had the, the opportunity to save him. He could have saved him and he didn't. And he's taken to court and they charged him with, with uh, uh, neglect or murder or whatever. And if he did, I fear that, would, that he would be arrested, he would be indicted and tried for manslaughter, if not murder. Even though the lifeguard describes his conduct as a negative action of just not rescuing the drowning person rather than the positive act of causing the drowning of the person. I didn't make the person drown. I just didn't save them. Okay, you see, you see that logic? I seriously doubt that he could find a sympathetic jury to accept the defense argument of, I did not cause his drowning. I simply did not choose to save him from drowning. The lifeguard, because he is the lifeguard, cannot escape the guilt of his action of not exercising his power and ability to rescue the victim. As to the drowned victim, the difference between the positive-positive logic versus the positive-negative logic is immaterial. He's dead. He's still dead by either exploitation of terms. This makes too much sense, folks. That's exact, folks, that's exactly what we're talking about. God in that position where he's the lifesaver, but he sees people that are drowning and he doesn't lift a finger for those people. But he can. It is within his power. Well, yeah, he saves some, doesn't he? See, this matter of negligence I'm not cause, I'm not making it happen. I'm just not, I'm not helping out at all. This, this matter of negligence, do we find any divine standard that we might be able to judge the morality of a disengaged individual? They're just, they're just not going to help when they could have? How about the parable that Jesus told in the Good Samaritan? You remember that one? Here's this person that was uh, um, uh, laid out by thieves, He's sitting there bloody. He's dying on the side of the road. And you remember what happened? There comes a priest, and he looks at him and goes on the other side of the road, a Levite, and it doesn't touch him. And then the, the good Samaritan. Did the travelers cause the unfortunate man his troubles? No. But Jesus absolutely frowned upon the heartless ones who refused to engage, didn't he? It was the morally apprehensible priest and Levite that would try to hide in their negligence. It didn't say that they helped them. It didn't say, you know, and they didn't, they didn't beat up the, the guy, did they? The moral high ground was mirrored in the Good Samaritan. And that's exactly what Jesus, how Jesus presented it. And people are saying, well, who's my neighbor? Well, let me tell you a story. You're kind of responsible, aren't you? And that's what he said. And that's what he was getting across here. You could help. What are you doing? 
We find a related principle in Deuteronomy chapter 22, just as relevant today as it ever was, about brotherly responsibility. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse number 1, the Bible says this, and this is God setting up his laws, and he says this about And, and folks, we can understand about human-human relationships, can we? And, and so many human-human relationships, are, uh, they, they mirror or they teach. They're, they're very good to help us to understand this relationship, okay? Anyway, so this is talking about men dealing with each other. Deuteronomy 22, verse number 1. Thou shalt not see, the, the Lord says, thou shalt not see thy, the, the, thy brother's ox or his sheep go astray and hide thyself from them. Thou shalt in any case bring them again unto thy brother. And if thy brother be not nigh unto thee, or if thou know him not, then thou shalt bring it unto thine own house, and it shall be with thee until thy brother seek after it, <clears throat> and thou shalt restore it to him again. In like manner shalt thou do with his ass, and sh- so shalt thou do with his raiment, and with all lost thing of thy brother's, which he hath lost, and thou hast found, shalt thou do likewise. Notice what God says. Thou mayest not hide thyself. And, uh, I, didn't, I didn't steal it. I didn't make him lose it. I, didn't, I wasn't the cause of his ox or his, his thing going astray. But he says, hey, it's like, what, do you think that, that you're, you're, you're uh, uh, out of responsibilities? No, no. Thou mayest not hide thyself. Thou shalt not see thy brother's ass or his ox fall down by the way and hide thyself from them. Thou shalt surely help him to lift them up again. He says, now, your brother, he doesn't know what's going on, totally unaware, and you come across something that he lost, and you say, not my trouble, not my trouble. Not my responsibility. Let somebody else do that. God says, that's wrong. That's wrong. That is wrong. <clears throat> Years ago, we had um, uh, a, a little radio spot from a commentator, Charles Os- Osgood. It was the Osgood file. Anybody ever remember that or hear that? The Osgood file. I love those, those Osgood files. He'd take you know, a few minutes to talk about this or talk about that, whatever. Um, we're compelled to help somebody in need if we can. The Osgood file spoke of a lawsuit where a neighbor felt as though they didn't have to help or shelter a stranded neighbor that couldn't get across a flooded road. So what happened was, here's somebody, you know, rain and flood was coming up, and, and they couldn't get across, and so, hey, they're, they were in danger, and their neighbor saw what was going on. They were, they were driven off their neighbor's property, and they endured harm. The courts condemned the cruel neighbor and presented legal terms that coincided with the principle in these verses, the verses that we read in Deuteronomy chapter 22. They were morally responsible to help a neighbor in need. And that's what God was saying with, with you know, the instruction that he gave. You're, more, you're morally responsible to help. If you can help, you better help because it's right. It's wrong for you not to. It's sin if you don't. Is not our God as righteous as the moral laws that he commanded his children to obey? Yes. Standing by in negligence doesn't alleviate the moral responsibility laid upon one who refrains to rescue if he could. Do you understand that? Okay. So this positive, positive, or positive, negative, that's a bunch of baloney. The end, the, the end result of those who are not chosen to be saved They die, they go to hell forever, just like the positive, positive. It's just the same thing, the very same thing. A working definition of Calvinism by John Piper is this, and this is what he said. I I read this to you last week or two weeks ago. He said this, When we speak of man's depravity, we mean man's natural condition apart from any grace exerted by God to restrain or transform man. That's that word exerted again which is not biblical. It's not in the Bible. You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. You have to have it in Calvinism because it doesn't work without it. This is adding, this is adding man's ideas to God's word. It's close, but it doesn't win the Cupid doll. And, you know, folks, that's where it's real dangerous because it's close. It's got some truth in it about man's depravity. Yeah, but what is he talking about? When we speak of man's depravity, we mean man's natural condition apart from any grace exerted by God to restrain or transform man. 
we commented on the inserted or the unnatural word exerted. That's not, it's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. It's, uh, uh, grace is supposed to be totally injected by the Calvinist to accommodate the logic of men. Now, since an unregenerated man has no hope, he has no capacity to, be, to believe, to come to Christ, he has no ability, no power, no chance, no help to be saved without the engaged exertion of grace, he can never be saved if God chooses not to exert grace to him. All God has to do is just sit there and watch him die and not help. Because if he doesn't help, the guy's going to hell going to be there forever and ever and ever. It's taking these truths to a further logical conclusion that we must end at the station that affirms that the full responsibility for the actions of every individual, elect or non-elect, rests upon God and absolutely none rests upon the individual. This is what the Calvinist says. Everything of your salvation, it all rests upon God, nothing upon the sinner, the individual. Everything about your salvation. You see, because it doesn't matter. There's, there's, there is, it's, it's unconditional election. God just chooses. got nothing to do with your condition, what you do, what you don't do, how you believe, don't believe, how you reject, accept. Nah, nothing to No condition. Everything, in the words of the Calvinist, let me read it again. It says, uh, uh, the full responsibility for the actions of every individual, elect or non-elect, rests upon God. Absolutely none rests upon any individual. <clears throat> okay, so before we go on to another subject, the next step is a conclusion that the Calvinist doesn't try to hide from. And that is that God is then becomes the author of sin. Why is there sin in the world? Well, we know why there's sin in the world. Man chose to sin. He chose to rebel against God. But no, that's not the Calvinist. The Calvinist says, no, God predestinated everything before the world began. He knew all about it, and he chose this is what's going to happen, and this is what's going to happen. And so, therefore, the, the conclusion is that God must have chosen, God must have uh, designed sin. God's the author of sin. That would violate the verse to read, From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of God? Do you know the verse? It doesn't say that, does it? It's James chapter 4, verse number 1. The verse properly puts the responsibility squarely upon man where it belongs. From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts? That war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war. Hey, where does sin come from? God lays it in our lap. It's not God. God's not the author of sin, of rebellion. No, no, but that's what the Calvinist says because he's so sovereign, he's predestined everything ahead of time, pre-programmed everything, so that must he means he pre-programmed sin also. But that's not what the Bible says. In Calvinism, God is responsible for everything. Man is responsible for nothing, but man is nonetheless held accountable for a condition and actions that he could not help. Doesn't sound right. That's, folks, that's warped. I don't care how you look at it. I don't care, you know, in, in anybody's, in anybody's uh, uh, viewpoint, that's warped. That is warped. But that's exactly what the Calvinist says. Is man responsible to choose life or not? Is it up to man to believe? If it's totally up to God who has predetermined who would have this exerted grace granted to them, then salvation has absolutely nothing to do with our response to God's offer. Are you with me? Have I lost you? I don't know. We're going, we're going deeper and deeper and deeper, and somebody are going to like... <laughs> let, me, let me say that again. If it's totally up to God who has predetermined who would have this exerted grace granted to them, then salvation has absolutely nothing to do with our response to God's offer. There is no condition that we can produce anything that brings about salvation. Thus, salvation is said to be totally unconditional. As far as the responsibility of man to repent or believe, no, no condition. Our election is said to be unconditional. But of course, this is not biblical, it's not true. Belief is the condition for salvation. That is exactly how the Word of God puts it. And folks, 
You have to be, be doing some linguistic gymnastics to avoid the truth in these verses that clearly lay out when God says, no, no, this is what brings about salvation. It's not uh, unconditional. No, no. The condition is you got to have faith. you got to believe. And this is, these are those verses. Listen, Romans chapter 10, verse number 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So you have to be set, uh, believe to be saved. Isn't that what it says? <clears throat> For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Hey, what do you know? How do you get to righteousness? Believe. Believeth unto righteousness. How do you get saved? Believe. That's what it says. It believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So how do you get to the place where you're not ashamed, where you get salvation? Believe on him. That's what it says. Isn't that very clear? Verse 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that's in belief. You're not going to call on him. He says that earlier. You're not going to call on him. And who do you don't believe? Uh, you've got to believe and you call on him and then you're, you get saved. So what's the condition for salvation? You must believe. And that belief will, will bring you to actually calling upon God. John three fifteen. Jesus said that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. How do you avoid death? Uh, get chosen? Have exerted grace? No, no. That's not what God says. What does it say? Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So what does God say about the condition so that you don't perish? You believe. <clears throat> you see, that's your, your responsibility. God lays it totally on you, on me. That's on man. You got to believe. Belief is the condition. If you believe in him, you should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have Everlasting life. What's the condition? What does God say the condition to have everlasting life? Belief. Somebody's lying when it says unconditional salvation. No, unconditional election. No, that's not what it says. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent out his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. How do you not come be, uh, get condemned? You believe on him. Amen. What a blessing. Acts 16, verse 30. You remember when the jailer came to Paul and, and he asked the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, if Paul really knew his Bible, like John Calvin or R.C. Sproul or John Piper or some of these Calvinists that are upside down, uh, if he really knew his Bible and the question was, what must I do to be saved? The answer would have been, sorry, nothing you can do. This is all of God. It's all up to God. It's got nothing, you know, whatever you feel. You know, the heart is deceitful above all things. And if you think that you actually want to pursue it to God, you're, you're deceiving yourself because you're so dead. You can't, sorry, nothing you can, there's nothing. I'm sorry. There's, you know, if God decides to elect you, fine. But if he doesn't, got nothing there. He got nothing. That's what his answer should have been. But you know what Paul said? Because he was connected to the truth. He says, well, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe. Oh, isn't that wonderful? So what's the condition to be saved? Belief. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Romans chapter 4, verse 3, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Galatians 3, 22, But the scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise of faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. <clears throat> so it's, it's belief, and we're talking about uh, everybody's under sin, but how do you get out of that? By your faith, by believing. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, that is so cool. That is so wonderful. And like we dealt with this the other day, where they even try to take this and say, oh, no, the gift is faith. No, a gift is God's gift of him, him paying on his, that penalty on the cross. And then we just believe. And, and so that's what it says. You're saved by uh, grace through faith. Not through gift, through faith. Because that gift is free. You can't work for it. You can't... You, believe you put your faith in that <clears throat> and he says it's the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast and then he goes on to say for we are his workmanship workmanship created in christ jesus unto good works 
So he says, you know what? God had a plan for your life. It's kind of like he, he, had, he had a design for your life. He had a purpose for your life. If you're going to be saved and follow him, what's his purpose? What's his, hmm, what would be the word that we could use? What's his, his pre-plan? What is his predestination for you? It says right there, we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. That's for before ordination, predestination, right there. God hath before ordained that we should walk. That's where predestination takes place, folks. That's biblical predestination. God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son so that we bring forth his praise. That's what it is right there. Don't let him, uh, you know... Uh, uh, hoodwink you. First John chapter five verse number one: Whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ is born of God. What's the condition to be born again? Belief. Amen. What's the condition for salvation? Belief. What's the condition to miss hell and condemnation? Belief. What's the condition to be elect? Belief. And the Calvinists always, by the way, and we're not even going to get into this, but. Uh, the Calvinist has to be saved first, and then God gives faith later. But that's not what the Bible says. It's very, very, very clear. Belief is the condition for salvation. The genuine gospel is an appeal to a lost man to believe God and to repent of his sins to be saved. Now, listen, pay attention. All of these things are theological positions in this net, but this is where it comes to. This is what it, this is what it comes to. An ugly defilement of the gospel is the false position there is no condition that a lost and a predestined unelect man can assume to escape the fires of hell. Nothing he can do about it. There's, there's no condition. There's, he can't believe. He can't. That's a defilement of the gospel. That there's no condition that a lost man, a, pre, a, a non-predestined, unelect man can assume to escape the fires of hell. Not belief, not repentance, not responding to conviction, not any reply to the offer of God that can save him. It's so totally in the hands of God that it then makes sense for one who seems to be under the conviction of his sin to be turned back to the pitiful truth that there's nothing he can do to be saved. Sorry, there's, it doesn't matter what you feel about your sin. Sorry, you can't be saved. You can't repent. You can't believe. Sorry, it's totally and only up to God whether or not he will save you. And that determination has been made long ago, before the world began. There's nothing you can do about that. <clears throat> uh, Harold Camping, who is now in heaven and not a predestinationist, because <laughs> he knows the truth, uh, but just a predestination, a Calvinist to the max. He's the guy that said Jesus was going to come this, this year and that year. And, you know, he, he gave several times. Uh, you know, and believers had egg on their face. They stayed, in, you know, with big giant posters. This is the day that the Lord's going to come back. And, you know, well, he never did come back, obviously. And so he passed away and he's gone. But Harold Camping used to have a radio program on, uh, what do they call that? Uh, uh, the, the music of that station was wonderful. Family radio. Yeah, family radio. And, and Harold Camping was the president of family radio. And he had the most stock in the family radio. He owned it. He was a millionaire. He owned a, the, the, the radio uh, station. And because he, he owned the radio station, he was the one that was the, the Bible teacher. And he was the one that held the, uh, the call-in shows and everything else. And if you, anybody ever remember hear, hearing Harold Camping on the radio? Okay, you might, you that remember this, uh, he, would, he would have people call in and they would ask Bible questions. And they would say, uh, Brother Camping, uh, what do you think about the two witnesses of Revelation? Well, let me tell you. And he would, he would talk like, that's one witness is like this and one witness, you know, and he would go and give the answer and says, now may we have our next caller, please. <laughs> remember that? On <laughs> every call, may we have our next caller, please. You know, and I, I used to, you know, be, use that at, in my house at the dinner table, you know, whatever, we're done. May we have our next caller, please. Anyway, that's what the way he, he said. But I remember several times he got a call from somebody, and no kidding, it could have been, it could have been uh, staged. I don't think it was. I mean, just hearing it. 
Didn't sound like an actor. Didn't sound like people that were... But every once in a while, somebody would call up, and, and, this is how, and, I, and I heard it with my own ears. If I didn't hear it with my own ears, I don't know that I would have... I, I don't know that I'd believe you telling me this, because I heard it with my own ears. Somebody would call up, and, and, they, and this was several times, different, different times. I remember this one time, this guy calls up, he says, uh, uh, Brother Camping, I don't know what to do. I'm lost, and I know I'm a sinner. I, I know I've, 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 I've failed God. I've broken God's commandments. Not just one. And my family's a mess, and I'm in a mess, and, and my kids are alienated from me, and I, I, am, just, I am so convicted. I, 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 would like to, I would like to be saved. What do, I, what do I do? Mr. Camping, what do I do? How can I be saved? How can I come to Christ? And you can, you can hear from, through the radio waves, this guy was was. Desperate, he was a sinner, and he knew it. And he says, "I am, I am under conviction. What do I do? I would love to be saved. How can I be saved?" And this was the answer. Uh, sir, uh, let me tell you, there is nothing you can do because it has nothing to do with your position. If God has predetermined that you're one of the elect, then He would have saved you, and you're one of the elect. If you're not, if you're predestined to go to hell, then there's nothing you can do about it. May we have our next caller, please? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And he was right to, for the Calvinist. He was right for somebody that believes this junk it says, no, man has absolutely no condition. There's nothing you can do. No conviction. There's no coming to the place where you see your, your condition before God and repent. No, no, no. That's not the answer. The answer is, well, God may have predestined you to be saved. And if he didn't, there's nothing you can do, do about it. And all of that stuff, they'll cry in and alligator tears as you're going through. It's your, your deceiving heart. It deceives you anyway because there's nothing you can do about it. There's, there's no choice that you make. Absolutely not. Do you, do you understand how damaging to the lost world this heresy is? No responsibility. Man has absolutely no responsibility. Now, he's going to be held accountable for his sin. He's going to die and go to hell. Nothing he can do about it. If God hasn't already chosen you before the foundation of the world, there's nothing you can do about it. And you have no responsibility, no chance. No matter what is done or how you respond, it's already all been decided. It's called Christian fatalism. So since there's nothing that you can do about it, if you're lost and you're going to spend the rest of eternity in a dark furnace and you can't stop that progression or change your destiny no matter what, then go ahead and get all the sinful pleasure that you can here and now. It don't matter. That's not the gospel, folks. That is, that is not what you see preached from this book, from God's prophets, from God's heart. No, not at all. It's an appeal to sinners to repent. Come under conviction, and it's your choice to repent. But of course, that's not true, folks. The Calvinist is, is absolutely heretical, underwater. If you die and go to hell, you have nobody to blame but yourself for not coming to Christ to be saved. You know why? Because that's your choice. Not God's choice. It's your choice. God's made it very clear. That's your choice. He says, come unto me and I will give you rest. It's your choice to come to him. It's not his choice to choose or not choose. No, no, no. He knows who's going to be saved. That's, that's for uh, foreknowledge, yeah. But it's your choice. And he's always laid it in your uh, uh, backyard. So <clears throat> we conclude this. There's no such thing as unconditional election. That's bogus. The condition, very clearly, is belief. Number one, his appeal is valid. John 7, 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You know what he says there? Are you thirsty? Are you tired of your sin and you are in a conviction and, and you know that you're facing a condemnation before a holy God and, and, and you deserve it, there's a, there's a way out. 
There's a place you can go. You can be saved. Friend, you can be saved. You can come to him and drink, he says. You can believe on him and you'll be saved. You'll have living waters. His appeal is valid. Number two, your response determines your destiny. Acts 8.24, and some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not. You know why? Because it was their choice. You know, with Christ, you know what you do with Christ? Your choice. It's not your preachers, it's not your family, it's not your mom and dad, not your brother, sister, not your Sunday school teacher. It's up to you. It's up to you. Just because this choice is in your hands doesn't mean that God is not sovereign or held hostage to your whim. No, he has placed your choice beyond his manipulation. He convicts, he woos, he invites, he displays his love. Your choice is in your hands. Every head bowed, nobody's looking for just a moment. Lord, thank you.